Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, one of the best things about wrapping up our breathing room series is going to be not having to watch that uh, anymore. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah, if you're visiting with us today, this is the last of our series called Breathing Room. Uh, there's been a lot of great stuff we've covered. If you'd like to uh, go back and listen to the messages, they're on our website, which is southbaychurch.us. You can just remember, South Bay Church is us, so southbaychurch.us. And if you go on there on the right-hand side, it says media, and you can see uh, uh, videos there from the service, and then you can see, uh, which my, my son Marshall is starting to videotape our services, so that's cool. And, uh, and then uh, you can also see sermons from the past several years, but especially this Breathing Room series. So I encourage you to go there and get caught up if you're visiting with us for the last time, for the last time in this series. Um, so anyway, it's been great. I hope it's been good for you. I know it's been really good for me and for my soul. I feel like I've been getting a lot out of it, and so I'm excited to, to be able to share uh, with you this last uh, in the uh, series on relationships. I found out a couple days ago that it's... Uh, Today is, uh, it, it's called a, a Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Didn't even know that existed, but I got an email about it. So uh, I, I will accept, uh, you know, Starbucks cards. Um, anything like that is good. Steve, I'm sure it feels the same way. But uh, anyway, breathing room we've been talking about this whole time is defined as the space between your uh, current pace and your limits. And, and that life is better with breathing room. So that's what we've been trying to get out of the series. I want to make a couple uh, kind of service announcements here. Uh, two weeks from today, we're going to be meeting in the park, Torrance Park, for our annual Harvest Fest uh, service. If you're visiting with us, we really want you to come. It's at 11 instead of 10. But it's really a fun time. We have jumpers. We have uh, some actually extra stuff that we're getting this year, uh, extra blow-up kind of exciting things that Steve's got lined up for us that I don't even know what they all are, but it's going to be fun. There's going to be a zombie nerf wars for the teenagers. Uh, there's going to be face painting and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, come on out to that. That's uh, two weeks from today. And then in uh, the first few weeks in November, we're going to be not meeting here because there's going to be a play happening here called Matchmaker. You can see they're starting to build the set behind us. And uh, so we're not going to be able to meet here. So the first three weeks in November, we will be at Lawndale High School. And a lot of us are familiar with that, but we'll, we'll send that out, uh, some reminders. But just so you kind of put that in your calendar, the first three weeks in November, we'll be at Lawndale High School. Life is better with breathing room. You know, you might have realized uh, the older you get, the more you realize there is not enough time. How many have come to that realization? There's just not enough time. And, and a lot of times what suffers is our relationships because there's just not enough time, so you got to cheat something. And so what we cheat so often is relationships. And the interesting thing is that we cheat the very thing that brings us the most joy because your quality of life really can be measured by the quality of relationships. And we tend to just, we tend to cheat those things that bring us the most joy we, we, because everything just doesn't fit. And we're trying to find breathing room. And, and, and a lot of times you're just right at the limit. Remember we talked the first week about how when you're right at the limit, there's a few things that happen. You, 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 uh, you, your stress levels increase. Your focus intensifies. It's just like, remember I was walking right at the edge of this cliff and, and you, you get really focused on that, that one thing and you kind of lose global focus. And the third thing is your relationships suffer. When you're right at the limit all the time, your relationships suffer. And so you got to try to figure out, how do I make room? I'm going to show you a quick video of a woman who's trying to make more room in her life, make more breathing room for relationships, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Ms. Brownston, you are here to declare social bankruptcy. I want you to be clear on what this means. Uh, you will be absolved of all debt. All your Facebook friends will be gone. All your uh, emails and voicemails will be deleted. All your Twitter followers will be gone. You'll be able to start with a clean slate. But this is kind of the nuclear option. Mm -hmm. Did I get that? It, it's like it physically hurts when it goes off. I just want you to know oh, sorry, like, hold on, hold on. If you need to, you know, like no, a couple friends, Instagram or something. I don't want to do any of that anymore. We do offer counseling to help you sort of get out of debt. I 
tried that. I feel like my bandwidth is just full. I have some template responses I use. Um, pet pictures. I'll just write a cute, just like with a bunch of O's. Cute is with a, with a U. No, C-Y-O-O-O-O-T. I appreciate that you've come up with a method for dealing with it. I don't want to live my life like that. Are you supposed to put that in there? I'm so jacked up right now. You know, Pink retweeted me recently. Yeah, that must feel fulfilling. Huge. One of my biggest ones. Uh, play on words. I said, Abacus is a machine you can really count on. I can't wait to miss out on jokes like that. All right, Miss Brownstein. You can sign right there. I'll go to the library and find something in a book and... What's a library? Is that like a big Kindle? Oh my God, Fred, I just got back from Powell's. I got so many books. I got that one Laurie Moore book that I have not read yet. I went to acupuncture, then I got a massage. I just have so much time. I feel like I'm just soaking it all in. I feel so alive. I'm sorry, do I know you from someplace? Seriously? Yeah. You seem very cute. And I okay. hope that we met somewhere great. Are you visiting Portland? Fred, to... it's Carrie. Carrie? Carrie what? Brownstein, B-R-O-W-N-S-T-E-I-N. Listen. Okay, are you on Facebook? No, I'm not on Facebook anymore. So you're not on there. Are we friends? Yes, we're best friends. We're best friends. We're best friends. Let me just Google you. Wow. I've never seen a blank Google page. It's just it's almost like you don't exist. You're not on Google at all, Carrie Brownstein. Steen. I don't know anything about you if you're not on here or on Insta. Are you on Instagram? No. I want to go back. I, I changed my mind. Just give me a second. Uh, how many of you guys can relate to that a little bit? Uh, I know I, I can relate a little bit. Um, what happened to me is uh, I was forced onto Facebook by um, a doll. Um, what it is is I had made this doll uh, of myself when I was in college for my wife when we were dating. And uh, then later, you know, fast forward 15 years and some friends of mine kidnapped the doll, the Brian doll, and had it join Facebook. And so then... Brian Dahl has all these friends, and I'm not on Facebook, so I'm like, okay, I'll join Facebook. So he had a lot more friends than me for a while. And, uh, but, then, but then I do a lot of music. If you're visiting with us, uh, I, I write songs that um, our family of churches sings uh, in different parts of the world. And, and so there's people that like my music, and so they started wanting to be friends with me um, just to stay in touch with my music. So I kind of made the mistake of a while back accepting friends that weren't really friends, you know what I mean? And so then pretty much that starts growing and growing. So, so I'm maxed out. I'm maxed out at 5,000 friends. And, uh, and they're not, you know, they're not really my friends. I mean, you guys are my friends, and some of you are some of those 5,000. But, but it's like I can't even use it for what it's supposed to be used for, which is find out what's going on in people's lives that I love because, the, you know, the timeline, the, the, the news feed is just 5,000 people and all the things that they're doing. So I kind of wish I could go back and do the nuclear option. But... Uh, but, you know, we all crave real friendships. And, and Facebook friends are not, I mean, there are real friends that are Facebook friends, but Facebook friends are not necessarily real friends. And we all want real friends. We all crave deep relationships because we were wired for that. And some of us are more extroverted. Some of us are more introverted. My father uh, is, is definitely an extrovert. And he's one of these people that he thrives on social interaction. You know, he'll come from a social engagement just energized because the more people he talks to, the more he gets amped up. Some of you are that way. Uh, my mom is more like the more people she engages, she loves people, but the more she engages with people, the more it just drains her. So she leaves the social uh, engagement like, oh, I'm so tired. And I'm a lot more like that. I, I, I'm more of an uh, introvert by nature, but, but I crave real deep friendships. And every one of us here, uh, no matter who you are, if you're a social extrovert, you're a social introvert, you crave human interaction. You crave deep relationships. We all want relationships that are transformative, that are deep, where we're honest, where it's, where it's real, where we feel like they know us and we know them. We all want that. And yet life tries to squeeze those out so often. And we cheat those relationships for all this other stuff going on. And so we're going to talk about how do we not let that happen. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. So if you go ahead and turn over there, 1 Thessalonians 4, I'm going to say a prayer and then we'll, we'll start reading in verse 9. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that uh, you created us the way you did. Father, that you made us, uh, you shaped us, uh, you formed our brains, you designed how they would work, and you made us 
for interaction with each other. You made us to be in community. You made us to have relationships for our own good. And uh, Father, that's really what heaven is about, is being all together and being with you forever. And uh, God, that you want a relationship with us is amazing. And I pray that uh, as we look into your scriptures right now, that you would open our hearts, that we could receive from you what you want us to hear, and uh, just that you would speak to each person in this congregation here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Th Thessalonians is a book written to the city, the, the Christians in the church of Thessalonica, which was the, uh, a city in Macedonia. It was the second biggest city in all of Greece. Uh, everybody here's heard of Athens. Uh, not a lot of people have heard of Thessalonica, but it was a huge prominent city. And so Paul went there and started a church. Uh, you might remember how there was this vision he had of, of somebody from Macedonia saying, come here and help us. And so he goes there and it was fertile ground. A lot of people became disciples and he wasn't able to stay as long as he wanted to because of persecution that came in and forced him out of the city. So he sent Timothy to find out what was going on in the church there and how things were going. Timothy came back. Timothy was a protege of Paul. And uh, so Timothy comes back, things are going great. He gives them the report of how things are going in Thessalonica. And Paul wrote this letter as a response to hearing from Timothy. So he hears good news, he hears things are happening. And so he sends this letter that we still have 2,000 years later. It's a great letter. But he goes through, uh, you know, what God did in their faith and, and, and how God worked and, and kind of is encouraging them to just keep going. And so he says here in verse uh, 9 of chapter 4, Now about your love for one another... We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody." First point here is they were taught by God to love each other. We're taught by God to love each other. So Paul is reminding them of their faith and of the relationships they have with one another. And basically he says, this is going great. You guys have been taught by God to have great relationships with one another. And, and what I encourage you to do is do so more and more. Really invest in those relationships. Really keep those relationships going. Because what happens when you're young Christians, the relationships are fresh. You know, you, you, you get open when you're studying the Bible. It's great to hear from some people who just got baptized and hear, you know, you kind of flash back to when you got baptized and, and, and you get into the Bible and you, basically if you're visiting with us, what we do is we just get together, we open the Bible and we say, what do you think it means? Here's what I think it means. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about our lives. And the amazing thing is it's so transformative when you do that. You just open the Bible, talk about your life and, and everything changes. And so, you, you know, you do that, you become a Christian and, and, and the relationships are really deep and real, but then sometimes... You're around for a while, you're kind of going through life, and those relationships in the kingdom can suffer. And so Paul's warning against that. He's saying, Don't, right now it's great. I encourage you to keep going more and more. Keep those relationships. We, we need those relationships. As I said earlier, we are hardwired for relationships. There's a quote I found from uh, Dr. David C. Corton. He's a professor of the Harvard Business School, an American author. He says this, Scientists who use advanced imaging technology to study brain function... So this is F fMRI, you know, the, the functional MRIs. They report that the human brain is wired to reward caring, cooperation, and service. According to this research, merely thinking about another person experiencing harm triggers the same reaction in our brain as when a mother sees distress in her baby's face. Conversely, the act of helping another triggers the brain's pleasure center. And benefits our health by boosting our immune system, reducing our heart rate, and preparing us to approach and soothe. Positive emotions like compassion produce similar benefits. By contrast, negative emotions suppress our immune system, increase heart rate, prepare us to fight or flee. So we're hardwired by God. It's part of how we were built to have great relationships. And we're the happiest when our relationships are great. That's what brings you more joy than anything else. The world tries to tell you you need this, you need that, you need success, you need fame, you need progress, you need money. But really those things don't satisfy people. What really satisfies people, I mean anybody, any religion, any, anywhere in the world, what makes people happy is having great relationships. It's feeling like they're part of community and, and, and feeling loved. That's really what, what it is. And, and if you think about your future, if you fast forward a little bit, uh, Steve talked about this two weeks ago. Uh, I want to do an exercise here. It might seem a little strange or a little dark, but stay with me. I want you right now to picture your funeral. 
Picture your funeral. And usually there's a casket like this in the front. It might be open. It might be closed. There's a bunch of flowers. I've been to a lot of funerals. Some of you might have not been to a funeral. So this is kind of how it is. The casket's up front. There's usually a poster with pictures of the person's life. And then people are there. You know, people, there's usually a few words said. Some people get up and they share. But just think about it. Who's there? What are they saying? What are some of the things that, can you picture it in your mind? What are some of the things people are saying about you? What are some of the, who are, who are the people that are there? You, you know, you, you, right now you might think, you might feel a little bit of regret, like, you know, uh, of certain relationships that are fractured right now. Uh, you might feel reward, like, oh man, I'm so glad I, I invested in this person because I know they're going to be there, you know. And, and this could be way in the future of your life, or this could be in a few weeks, you know, when you die of an aneurysm, you know, when you don't even know it's coming. Because we're all going to die, right? Every person here. It's just a matter of when and how. So we're all, why, not, why not think about it, right? We don't think about it, do we? We don't want to think about it. Even when I said, okay, picture it, I've heard a few groans. Oh, we don't want to. And yet Moses said this in Psalm 90, and, and, and uh, Steve talked about this. Moses talks about who God is and, and his perspective and our perspective. And he, and he ends by saying, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this is what he's talking about. Start with the end in mind and work backwards. That's the way you do any project, right? That's the way you plan a wedding. You start with, okay, picture it in your mind, and then you work backwards. That's what Moses is talking about. He's saying, don't just kind of keep in the rat race, keep going, 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 and, and, and stress. Start with the end and then work backwards. What kind of life do I want to live? What kind of relationships do I want to have? Because it's God that teaches us to love each other. It's God that's going to really give us this ability to have great relationships. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of funerals for being, uh, I've been a minister since 2000, so about 15 years I've been a minister. I've probably done about 20 funerals. And, uh, you know, I've done some of people I knew and some of people I didn't know. And the saddest thing is to do a funeral for somebody that you didn't know and there's, you know, there's almost nobody there. And, and people are, are sharing, you know, a co-worker from years ago or somebody, but, but they're kind of coming up with stuff because the person didn't, wasn't open. They didn't have relationships. They just, they, their life was their work or, or they just did their own thing. Or, you know, and, and it's, I, I've been in those situations going, I don't want that to be me. Not, not in a judgmental way, not like, oh, I'm better. I'm not going to be like it. But just in a, in a hum, you know, I know if not for God, if not for the kingdom, that's who I would be. I would, I would have an empty life. I would just get caught up in my own pleasures and my own desires rather than God's plan. And God's plan is so much more fulfilling. And I, I just, I don't want that to be me because I want to have those relationships. And so I need God. God is the one that teaches us how to love. Uh, a scripture just to throw on screen here, and then we'll come back to 1 Thessalonians. This is a story Jesus told. He told a story of a rich man. And, and, and really, wealth, being rich, anybody in America qualifies on a worldwide scale. And this guy is a rich man, and he has a lot of stuff, and so he goes, okay, what do I need to do? I need to make more room for all my stuff. And I need to store up, I need to have savings so that I can take life easy. He says, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now that is really, I mean, there's, there's some good things about that, right? We want to be able to save. We want to be able to store. Uh, uh, Marco talked about that last week. And, and, and this is really what every person in America wants, right? Is to be able to save enough for retirement so you don't have to be stressed out about it. And that's what this guy's saying. I want to save a lot. I want to store a lot so I don't have to worry about it. And then I can just take life easy. And yet, what does God say to him? God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. See, it's all about relationship. It's not wrong to store. It's not wrong to save. In fact, there's a lot of Proverbs about that that Marco read last week. Saving is good. Storing is good. Planning ahead financially is good. But not at the expense of relationship, especially your relationship with God. This guy was not rich towards God. He didn't have a rich relationship with God, it says in the scripture. And that's the most important relationship of all. And yet how many people choose to cheat their relationship with God for all this other stuff? And that's what suffers. It's their walk with God. Their walk with God is, is what suffers. Think about your own walk with God right now. Would he say 
that you have a rich relationship with him. You know, if we were to ask God, hey, God, how do you feel about so-and-so in your, your relationship? Is it a rich relationship? What would God say? You know, there's always two ends to the relationship, right? Sometimes one person, oh, our relationship is great. And you talk to the other person, they're like, oh, really? They said that? In sp- you know, in marriages, a lot of times the guy's like, oh, everything's great. And the woman's like, oh. <laughs> the guy's looking, really? I had no idea. But, but, but think about that relationship you have with God. What would God, I mean, you might feel like it's rich. Is that what God would say, though? Is it's a rich relationship that you're investing in it, that, you, that, that you're storing up treasure there, that you know, that's the most important thing? Because we're taught by God to love each other. God wants each of us to have deep, lasting, honest, open, transformative relationships, but we've got to make breathing room for those to, to really happen. You know, uh, a couple years ago, three years ago, I was uh, making some trips to San Antonio, Texas for the World Discipleship Summit. And uh, if you're visiting with us, our church is part of a family of churches all over the world, hundreds of churches around the world. And, and uh, as many as could came together in 2012 uh, for this conference. And uh, there was 18,000 people there. We were there in the, where the San Antonio Spurs play in the AT&T Center. It was so awesome. And uh, I was in charge of the music for that and, and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I, I made a few trips out there. And uh, I remember meeting with Mike Tolliver, who was in charge of the whole thing. And if you know Mike, he leads the San Antonio Church, and he always he- also heads up Hot News. And, you know, he's involved in all kinds of stuff. And so I, I was asking him, so Mike, how do you do all this stuff? Like, how do you do... Uh, you know, ICOC Hot News, and you stay connected to Africa, and you're planning this subject conference. How do you juggle all this? How do you do all this stuff? And he said, well, you know, to be honest, uh, when my kids were in the house, I just had a rule that, you know, from four o'clock in the afternoon till bedtime, I'm just focused on the kids. I'm not doing anything else. Because I was asking advice about my life and things. I'm like, I'm wearing these different hats. How do I do it all? He's like, you got to do that. You cannot get that time back. And, you know, Mike's a very powerful guy, he's a very busy guy, but I, I, that really resonated with me that he would be willing to just, I'm going to cut everything, four o'clock, the phone's off, the email's off, I'm just spending time with my kids, and well, what kind of stuff would you be doing? Oh, shooting hoops, or helping them with their homework, or doing stuff around the house, but that, it's like we're shut down from four to eight, just me and my kids, because you never get that time back. And it was convicting, because I, I, I can tend to work all the time. You know, my old job, I, my old career, it's like I'm at work. And the thing that happens to a lot of us is we're at work thinking about home. And then we're at home and we're thinking about work, right? And, and that just happens to us. For me, I was, it's easy for me to always be working because my job is you. My job is the church and my job is doing stuff. And so there's always something else to do. So I can be at work and I'm always emailing and texting and working on this and working on that. And, and it's all, you know, and I'm not taking time for my family. So that, that really resonated with me. I'm, since that talk, I've been trying not to travel as much. I've been trying to spend time with my family. And I, I got to do a better job, but, but it really stuck with me. And that leads us to this next part of the, the passage here in, in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is really interesting. He says there at the end of verse 10, Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so you will not be dependent on anybody. This is an interesting verse, you know, and in, in 25 years in the, in the kingdom or whatever it's been, I, I had never, ever heard this verse preached until a couple years ago. Andy Wingy in, a, in Men's Midweek, he taught on this verse. And I remember thinking, wow, I have never in 25 years heard this verse preached. Because it's not really our culture. You know, our culture is make it happen, change the world, do this, do that, let's go, go, go. You know what I mean? And, and, and we love progress. And, we, and all that's good. That's from God. And yet, this is in the Bible for a reason. You know, Paul is, what is he trying to get them to do? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. What is he trying to say? I think he's trying to say you need to have breathing room. You know, you need to not be caught up in the rat race. Now, does he want it? Are we supposed to work, according to this verse? Absolutely. Yeah, he says work with your own hands. You know, be responsible. Uh, be somebody who can be depended on. That's what I get out of this. Be somebody who, you know, you're just, they just know you're, you can be counted on. You're just this quiet, just, you're doing your job. But, it, but it's not, he doesn't say try to get ahead, try to reach the next 
thing, trying to get here, get there, you know, but, but that's really the work environment. It's like, you got to go to the next, you got to go to the next, you got to go to the next, right? And without even trying that, it's just the, the environment that's created. Um, you know, because like I said, we love progress and especially for the guys, uh, when we go to work, we can measure progress. Well, at home, we're, we're just at home. You know, you can't necessarily measure progress, but at work, you can measure progress. Okay, I sold this. I accomplished that. I hit this target. I hit this goal. I got this award. I, I reached this, you know, uh, department status. Or, you know, you, there's, there's this, at home, it's just, you're at home. And so, that's why, especially for guys, we're wired for progress. We, we, we can gravitate towards work and cheat our family because we like stuff we can control. We like being able to check stuff off. And, and you know, at home, it, it's, is it important spiritually? Absolutely. And yet, as a kid, I never told my parents, mom and dad, thank you so much for your investment. Appreciate you spent taking time with us. Thank you for, you know, it's not working, dad, and, and spending time right now with me in this moment. No, never did I ever say that. Am I grateful now? Yes. But that investment, it's not, a, you don't get immediate rewards for, for that investment. And so we can, we can end up gravitating and, towards work and cheating something that's really most important for something that's secondary. But really, and work can be like, okay, I got to reach the next thing. I got to reach the next thing. We were, uh, some of the guys in our, our church, the, some of the ministers, we got together for a couple days this last week. There's this awesome place in the mountains that you can stay for free uh, if you're a minister. And uh, it's kind of their, their way to, to give to, to the ministry. So you can stay there for free. And so we went up there to the mountains and we're working on, the only thing about it is you can't get any email and you can't get any cell reception. No internet or cell reception which is horrible, but it's actually really good. If you want to get, no TV, yeah, if you want to get away and plan, it's a really good thing. So we were up there uh, planning our sermon series for next year. So really excited. We have all these different series we're going to do. It's really exciting. But, uh, but one of the mornings I went on this, I started hiking on this trail up, up the side of the hill. And, you know, you get to one turn and then you see the next ridge and then you get to the next turn. And there's something in me. I'm like, okay, well, I want to see what's up there. I want to see what's up there. I want to go farther. I want to go farther. I want to go, go farther. And really, then when I, when I got back, at one point I'm like, okay, I got to go back down or I'm not going to make it to breakfast. And, uh, and then when I got back down and I kind of took a, a long view, I really, you know, because when you're up there, you think I'm almost three quarters of the way to the top. But then when you step back, you're like, oh man, I was only like a quarter of the way up, you know? Because the big picture is you're not, you, there's, so, there's always more to go. And so my point is that that's what work is like a lot of times. Is you you kind of, like, if I just invest a little more, then I can get this. Or if I just invest a little more, then I can get this. And, it, and it's a rat race. And uh, it's like this cartoon. I don't know if you can see that. There's a, uh, let's see here. This sign right here says, uh, these, are, these are advertisements. Uh, smoothies. What does it say? Get closer. Work harder. Taste that satisfies. Happiness is just around the corner. And the next one, stay ahead of the race. Earn more money. Happiness is just around the corner. Soft, silky, creamy. Happiness is just around the corner. Spoil yourself with luxury. Buy more things. Escape from it all. Happiness is just around the corner. Keep going. Isn't that the world? Isn't that our, 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 our environment at work? I mean, we were talking about sales organizations, me and Steve, because we both were in the sales organization. And, uh, you know, some of you might work in sales and some of us are more gifted in sales than others. And the sales organization I was in, it's like, this is, this is totally it. I mean, they, they want you to buy stuff so that you are on the hook so that you will work harder. So there's kind of this, you know, you got to buy this, you got to buy, oh, check out this car. The sales manager has this really nice car. He's showing it off to everybody. You should get this car. Why? So you can get into all these payments and all this debt. So you got to work more. And then all the numbers are put out all the time. Uh, you know, and, and, and you got to keep up with so-and-so and, or, or you're not going to, you're not paying for your seat and you got to, you know, you know, there's just that go, 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 go. And, uh, and, and yet that's not who we are as disciples. And we're meant to be different in our worldview. Uh, I remember early in my marriage as I was trying to build my career, and I moved from sales into corporate sales, and I did well, and then I moved from corporate sales into marketing. And, and so I was, I was doing marketing. I have a music degree, but I was a, a product manager. I was in marketing. And so I was learning it kind of on the job, and I, I was really enjoying it, um, but it was very demanding, especially at the beginning. And so I had my wife 
uh, my wife was working uh, 18 hours a week or something, and, and we had a, ch a child. Jameson was a little little baby, and uh, and so I remember with Dessa, you know, her telling me something like, "We're not spending enough time with each other," or, or "When are you going to spend more time with me?" or something like that. I don't know how she said it, but what I heard in my male brain was, "You're doing a bad job at the, at home. You're not." here for me. You know, you're not spending enough time with me. And so my response is, well, what do you mean we're not spending enough time together? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't this count? We did this? We did that? And so <laughs> some of the women are like groaning because what she, what she hears from that, because what I hear is you're attacking me. I'm not doing a good job. So well, I am doing a job. I did this and this. This didn't count. And so what she hears when she hears that is, you don't, you don't, I don't care about you. I, I would rather be at work. And, and, you know, I did all that. That should be enough. Get off my back. You know, that's what she hears. And so then it becomes this back and forth thing. And so, you know, it, it, praise God, we, we were able to learn how to communicate better and, and, and learn how to process. We read that book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And we learned how, okay, so what you're saying is that you have this need that you need more conversation, you need more attention, you need more time, and I'm, I need to do better with meeting that need, you know? And so, okay, how can we meet that need? And we learned to work as a team on her needs and on my work environment and on all of it to approach it all together as a team. And Ephesians 5 goes into a lot of detail on this, uh, but it says in Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Jesus is Lord, so we submit to one another. That means to me, we work as a team. You know, you, you have your, your view, she has her view, and you work as a team on all this stuff. You submit to each other. She submits to my leadership, I submit to her needs. And you work together, and it talks about how Christ is the head of the church, and, and Christ leads the body, but he cares for the body of Christ. And just like we take care of our own body, whatever our body needs, we, we, take, we, we work to get those needs met. The husband needs to work to meet the needs of the wife. So we learned to, to, to work together and work as a team, and it got so much better because we were working as a, a practical approach to, to this stuff. To, okay, how can we provide breathing room? How can we make sure that our needs are both being met? And, uh, you know, we've had up years and, and down years. It's been good. It's been bad. This last year has been a tough year for us because uh, uh, Dessa got really sick. Cora got really sick for a long time. She was uh, out of school for about four months, and we didn't know what was wrong with her. We went to 30 different doctors and all that stuff. And, and uh, thank God we, she's doing much better and appreciate so many of your prayers. Uh, but it, it's been a tough year, and there, I remember one point I was out in my backyard on a Monday mowing the lawn, and I'm listening to my iPod, and the song comes on, a, 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 a worship song about being an offering for God, and I just fell on my knees, and I just started crying, just weeping, crying, because I was just oh, overwhelmed, and just something cathartic about listening to that song was like, oh, God, I'm just trying, help me, you know? And, uh, and I felt so ministered to by the Holy Spirit, but but through all of it, I think God is the one that teaches us to love, and then we, we've got to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, to, to just take care of business, but provide breathing room for relationships. Uh, you know, what does this look like for you? What does it look like for you to, to, to be able to provide breathing room for relationships? Uh, what would he have meant for your life, for your family, for your situation, for you to lead a quiet life? You know, think about your job right now and what it is that you do. What are the things that you cheat relationships for the sake of, of this? And, and are there decisions that you need to make? Third point, daily life that wins the respect of outsiders. It says in uh, the end of verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands just as we told you. Verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. How are we going to reach our community? What are we called to, uh, what are we calling people to? I think this is a big part of it. Here he says, this is what's going to win the respect of outsiders, is the way you lead your life. The balance, uh, the, the, the responsibility, you know, having relationships that bring glory to God. That brings God more glory than anything else, is the relationships that we have with one another. Paul says in, in, in uh, I mean, uh, Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35. By this, all men will know you are disciples by your love for each other. If you love one another the way I loved you, and that relationships that, that he established, that's what's going to really show people the light. And so, does your family life, does your uh, household, if you're living in a single household, you know, do your relationships really let God get glory? Is this true? 
that it's winning the respect of outsiders on your job or in your school or in your community. You know, what if, uh, what if there was a nanny cam installed in your house? You know, and, and we watched some of the interactions that went on in, in, in your marriage or in your family. Does that bring glory to God? Does that win the respect of outsiders? That, that, that can be convicting, right? And yet that's the battlefront of, of Christianity. That's where we get to put Christianity into practice is with those relationships. Um, and, and, and really it boils down to what is God, what, what is it that God has uniquely qualified you to do? What is it God wants you to focus on the most? You know, I remember uh, going to a, a, a conference, uh, Henry put together a, a, a conference for um, doctors and, and medical professionals, and uh, Sam Lang was the guest speaker for it, and I was there because I was doing the music and the AV and stuff. And I remember Sam talking about how uh, there's only, he was talking about his own life, he said, I realize there's only one person in the world that can be a husband to my wife. There's other people that can write books. There's other people that can lead churches. There's other people that can disciple. There's other people that do these other things. But God's given only me this job. And he said, there's only, and Sam said, I realize there's only one person on earth that can be a father to my kids. You know, I'm the only one right now in this whole world that's a father to my kids. And so why would I trade something that's unique to me for something that someone else can do or will do? Someone else is going to lead that church. Someone else is going to write books. Someone else is going to go tour and speak. I'm the only one that can. So I've got to do a great job with these things. I've got to, these are the unique things God has qualified me to do is be a husband to my wife and a father to my kids. And so for everybody, I want to give you that charge. Don't trade something unique to you for something somebody else can do. Don't trade something unique to you for something that somebody else can do. As it, as it applies to your work, as it applies to your school, as it applies to all that, you know, you've got to take responsibility for those things that God has given you. Even if, you know, if you don't have kids, if, you know, for the teens, you're the only one that can be a brother or sister to that brother or sister in your family. You know, you're the only one that can be a child to your parents. You know, we all have those unique relationships, and so you got to go, am I doing what God wants me to do in that situation? Am I giving it my best? There's a, a scripture here in James 4, if you want to look on the screen. Uh, James says this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and, and don't do it, it is sin for them. You know, he, again, I don't think he's talking about it's wrong to have a plan. It's wrong to schedule. No, we, we talked about that. We talked about breathing room in our schedule. We talked about breathing room in our finances. That's good. But the point is that you got to do it all within the Lord's will. Verse 13, if it's the Lord's will, I will do this or that. So what is God's will in terms of my relationships? What does God want me to be for my family? What does God want me to be for my, uh, my immediate you know, relatives or, or my community or my neighbors? What is God's will? And, and, and that's how you approach your schedule. Because otherwise you're just boasting, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And really he's saying your life is nothing. It's a mist. Think about the funeral flowers we saw a minute ago. It's going to be over. And so what really matters? And so that's why, you know, a lot of us know this verse. If you've been around the kingdom a long time, verse 17, if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it's sin, that, the sin of omission. What did you not do that you should have done? You know, God, I don't think God's trying to get us to be guilty all the time. Oh, there's so many things I should have done that I didn't do. I think he's trying to get us to have a life that counts. Because that's the context, isn't it? The context is your life is a mist, so do what really counts. Your life is a mist, so if you know you ought to do something and you don't do it, that's sin because life is a mist. Make the most of every opportunity. Focus on what has lasting consequences and, and what's eternal. And what's eternal is God and, and souls. <laughs> what's eternal is relationships. That's really the only thing. And, and your quality of life is measured by the quality of your relationships. Just some practical things here, and then we're going to take communion together. Uh, for the teens, uh, you know, just a challenge for you is to value family time. Teens are by nature very relational. 
And so I appreciate our teen ministry a lot because they, they, they love each other. And I love how the teens in the church love to hang out with other teens in the church even more than all the teens at school. That's really awesome. And, you know, I encourage you to do that. And sleepovers are great. And, you know, they all went to, a lot of them went to Magic Mountain yesterday. Did you guys have a good time? They look a little tired. Uh, you know, that's all great. So relationships are awesome. Teens, we can learn from teens and how much they love to be together and how social they are. Because, I, you know, I remember being a teenager and talking on the phone for like two hours. And now I look at I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> like, I have no desire to talk more than, if, if it's like, you know, sometimes you get on that call, it's like 25 minutes. And it says on the end of your call how long it was. Wow, 25 minutes. Oh, my gosh. So, so I need to learn from the teens a little bit in terms of valuing relationships. But I want to give you this challenge, teens, is that you value your family time. Value time with your family because the, the world is telling you, oh, family doesn't matter, you know, but it does matter. And, uh, and so value that time. Make, make times when it's just you go, uh, you know, you're the one that says, I want to spend time with my family. Because the, the default for teens a lot of times is, oh, our family's going to do this. Oh, is anybody going? <laughs> is anybody else going? <laughs> You know, because, amen, you got relationships, but, but value that time with your family because you don't, you don't get to have it for that much longer. So value that family time. For singles, uh, having, a, and there's a lot of things I could talk about, but these are just a few practicals. Having a household night is huge if you live in a household. Making that time that, okay, this is our sacred time. If it's Monday night or if it's Sunday night or whatever that time is that we don't do anything else with anybody else, this is the time for our household to connect and be together. You know, living in singles households, I remember doing this and... Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, we would take turns who cooked, and uh, sometimes it was good, and sometimes it was bad. Uh, I remember this one time, this brother made these uh, hot pockets, he called them. It was like aluminum foil with, with stuff cooked in there. And I think I th- it was something his mom made that he said was so good, but, but it had uh, ground beef in there. And I think the beef, ground beef was probably supposed to be cooked before you put it in the hot pocket. <laughs> because you open it up, and it's just like all grease. You know, because it's the cheap beef, too. You know, that they're like... 30% fat beef or whatever, you know, so it's just, just potatoes and onions and then just gre- a pile of grease fills the, but it was awesome, it was a great memory, so, uh, but having those household nights that, you know, you, you protect, oh, I can't do anything, that's household night for me, and then having a spiritual environment in your household that you pray together, you make time for each other, you inve- make breathing room, even when you're single, Making breathing room for those relationships with other singles. It's not, this is not just a, a message for marrieds. You need breathing room in your relationships. Uh, God made you to need those relationships. I appreciate DK. Uh, you know, we've been getting involved with the singles and or with the teens. And, and DK is serving in the teens, but he stays really connected with the singles. And he makes sure he goes to the singles midweeks and he's making time on his weekends. Says, oh, this is my time. I got to make sure I spend with the singles. And, you know, he, he's, he's creating breathing room in his relationships. I appreciate that. Okay, for the marrieds. Uh, if you're married, you got to have a daily time to connect. Daily time to just, here's my day, your day, and just connect. It might be when you're brushing your teeth. It might be, but you know, but you got to make sure you make that time to just talk and you turn off the TV and you just have time to talk. Typically, the women need this more than the men, or they, they, we both need it as much. They, I should say, they see the need uh, more than the men. I know for us it's that way. Like, Dessa sees the need for conversation more than I do. But I've learned to go, okay, we need to talk. And then, and then I, I'm grateful for it. I just don't feel the need for it ahead of time. But then when we have that time to talk, I'm like, okay, this is good. And I feel like she's, she's after 20, 20 years of marriage plus, you know, she's helping me to, to kind of become more like her. But we need that time to connect together. And something we heard when we were first married was, you got to pray together every day. You got to pray together every day. And, and so we just established that as a, as a habit and so for 21 years, we've been praying together every single night. We, we never miss. Uh, and it just creates this bond of spirituality. And you, you just are on the same page. Because when you pray together, it's like you, you humble yourself and you pray. And then you can tell, too, if something's up, you know, if you don't want to pray together. Oh, that's a red flag. <laughs> okay, we need to talk. So that's important. Uh, a couple other things on, on a weekly basis is a weekly planning time. Uh, the, the mains told us to do this years ago, and we've been doing it for many years. It's just we have a time just to sit and talk. Here's what our schedule is. Here's what our finances are. Here's the things we need to talk about. I mean, a two-hour time just to talk through your week. Here's the stuff I have next week. What are the things you have next week? And just really plan out things and talk about the kids and talk about your schedule. We go to, to breakfast every Friday is our, is our planning time. But figure out what works for you. You've got to have that weekly 
planning time. For everybody that, that we've discipled here, you know, you know that we, we, we say these things all the time because it's key. And then when, when somebody's not connecting and, and not, you know, the, the, the communication's all messed up and we get together and we say, well, how's the planning times? Never happening. You know, that's always, it, it's the first thing to go and then it hurts your relationships. You got to have that weekly planning time and then a weekly date night, time to be, just to be together. It, there's not an agenda. It's just time to be together. Watch, we, we like watching, uh, our thing is we watch TV on our computer in our bed. <laughs> that's what we like to do. We have this big screen. We don't watch it. We watch it on, on the computer in our bed. That's our favorite thing to do. Or maybe sometimes we'll go and watch the computer with this overview, overlook, you know, of the city or something. But, you know, figure out what's your date night ideal and, and make sure you have time for that. Okay. Parents, a couple things is fa family dinners. Uh, the mains encouraged us to do this after our kids, because before what we used to do for dinner is we would watch Seinfeld and eat dinner, and that was, you know, on the couch. That was our thing. We didn't even have a table uh, dinner, or that we used, a dinner table. We would sit on the couch and watch Seinfeld every day after work. But uh, after we had kids, the mains encouraged us, you got to have a, a, a nightly family night, where you, I mean family dinner, where you just sit around and eat. And there's so much value in that, just see, looking around and seeing everybody's face. Uh, it, it's, it's just, the, it creates this environment of family. You've got to make time for family dinners. And I know how it is. You know, you got a kid, we have a kid in band and a kid in, uh, you know, tennis and a kid in soccer and all these different things. It's hard to make happen. We can't do it every night of the week, but we've got at least four nights a week that we have family dinner. So make sure you do that. And then weekly time with each kid. My, my parents did this with me, my dad. He would spend time with me every week. That was just our special time. And so since our kids were little, they know every week we have a special time with each kid. And, uh, and it's so valuable. It's so valuable to make that time happen. I, I would say, you know, sometimes it doesn't, but way more, it happens way more than it doesn't. And if you don't have a plan for this, it's never going to happen. So those are some practicals on making breathing room in your relationships. Life is better with breathing room. You don't want to look back at the end of your life and wish, oh, I wish I would have taken more time. I wish I would have taken more time for these relationships. What if I had trusted God? Because that's really the issue. You know, you cheat these relationships for this other stuff because you don't trust God with that stuff. What if I trusted God and just did what he wanted me to do instead of all these other things? What if I trusted God with my job? What if I trusted God with my dating life, with my finances, with my sexuality? What if I had chosen to cheat those things, to cheat my job instead of cheating my family? You know, to cheat all the, the stuff of the world instead of choosing to cheat uh, on, on the relationships. Because, you know, we, we, we never get those times back. And this is something, again, I need. I need to continually be reminded of because I, I get, I get uh, excited about progress too. And, and, you know, I get so easily caught up in all this stuff instead of the relationships that are so important to me. You know, I mean, even just the other day, I, I told my son, hey, let's go to Taco Bell and, or let's go to somewhere and grab something to eat. And he, he kind of looked at me like, well, why? <laughs> let's just go to Taco Bell. He's like, you never want to just go to Taco Bell. It's like, oh... You know, because it's like I always have this agenda or I always want to accomplish this or accomplish that or I want to talk to you about this or I want to talk to you about that. So we just went and we had some food and we had a great time. And I, I just realized I need to, man, I need to do that more. I, I don't want him to feel like that. You know, I want him to feel like he loves just to hang out. I, Dad loves to just hang out with me. So closing out this series, uh, before we take communion, you know, God wants you to have life to the full. God wants you to have breathing room. God wants you to enjoy the relationships he's given you. And, and Jesus did. It's amazing to me, uh, as we take communion, that Jesus, as he is about to go to the cross, you know, he, he's about to go to the cross, and yet he says this in Luke 22, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. You know, Jesus valued that relationship time with them. He says, I've been looking forward to this moment to be together and to, you know, to have this meal together. And in the same context in John 15, he says, I've called you friends. You're not my servants. You're my friends because I've, I've shared with you everything God shared with me. I've shared with you. We're friends and I, I love this moment. I love this time. You know, when, we're, when we're, there's no breathing room, we don't even enjoy the moments. And yet when there's breathing room, we enjoy the moments. I feel like that's what Jesus was doing in this moment. And that's what communion is. It's, remember, it's remembering that Passover meal they had. And as we take the bread and we take the the fruit of the vine that they shared, we remember the relationships we have. He says, when you take this, I want you to remember me. When you take this bread, I want you to remember my body. When you take this wine, I want you to remember my blood. And, and so we're continuing that here 2,000 years later, but it's a time, it's meant to be done in relationship. It's meant to be something we all do together that we remember that time and remember those relationships. 
and we create breathing room in our own hearts going, oh, I need this. I need relationships in the body. I need my relationship with God. I got to push that other stuff out because this is what's really, really important. And you have this moment of worship. Uh, there was this moment when, <clears throat> when Jacob was di- you know, b- about to go and he spent time with his, his family. And I love this verse. It's so interesting. He says when he was dying, old and dying, he wasn't dying at that moment, but he was old. He blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. What, what does that mean? I, I just picture he was kind of in this moment going, God, you are so awesome. As he looked around at his kids, you are so awesome what you did, bringing us all to Egypt, how you worked in Joseph's life, and here's his kids, and here's the future. This is just, oh, I just want to soak in this moment. Oh, just worship. You know, it's like a baptism, or it's like a special family dinner, or a special moment where you just kind of worship God and go, God, this is so awesome. That's what God wants uh, for our lives, and that's what communion is supposed to be. So let's bow and let's pray, and then we'll take communion. God, thank you for this uh, moment right now, just to take a breath. And even just Jesus' design that we would do this in remembrance of him. In the early church, how they would gather once a week just to share this meal together and remember the relationships that we have only because of you. Thank you for his body given for us. Thank you for his blood that makes it all possible. And thank you that every person here has everything we need to be happy and content and at peace and fulfilled. And that we don't have to have those things that the world tells us we need to have in order to be happy. But it's all right in front of us. And God, I pray we would make more breathing room in our lives. I pray that we would take time for the relationships that we need to, to take and invest in. And I pray you'd bless this time of communion right now and just remembering Jesus and what he did for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.